0: I see the children across the sea, left on the shore like trash and debris. I hear nations nation sigh relieved, but it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be this way. Hey friends, you're listening to the Hope and Heart Pills podcast, where we are having conversations at the intersection of race and social justice and culture, pop culture these days. That's a new thing because we have a new co-host. <laughs> Perfect segue. Uh, <laughs>
1: Hello.
0: <laughs> we're welcoming to the show Trish's, uh, my good friend uh, who is joining the show. And I'm excited about this because Trish's and I share so much in common, including being artists, music artists who care about social justice both having Caribbean backgrounds, and um, she's brilliant. And I'm so glad that you're joining me as my co-host. And when I asked her about, you know, what she would be passionate about bringing to the show, she talked about wanted to talk about pop culture, with show, which is something that I also enjoy talking about. So welcome to the show, Trish. Is, Thank Trish is. you so I much. I know for... you as Trish. <laughs> Sorry, I'm coming to you by a government name.
2: Trish. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for including me in this podcast. Thank I'm you. happy to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm happy that you're here. Um, So tell me something, tell me some about why you feel like the conversation around pop culture is important as we're having conversations about racial justice.
2: I think pop culture is where we see caricatures of race. I Mm -hmm. think it's where we can observe how racial dynamics are portrayed in art. But I also think because of the age of reality TV and social media that we're in, we're getting like a direct, um, we have like a direct lens to look at how people are actually interacting with each other and the social Mm -hmm. dynamics in that. So I think pop culture is just a way that That social dynamics are actually manifested in in real life, and it sort of
0: amplifies that. Yeah, it's interesting because we're oftentimes we're seeing art imitating life, right? Like it's showing the dynamics that we're talking about and theorizing Mm -hmm. about. And I think these stories make it digestible. This different medium that we're are making these things digestible. Yeah. And then sometimes we're watching life imitate art, like you know. Birth of a Nation. I mean, I know, I know that's a throwback. That's like, but the Ku Klux Klan was not burning crosses before a cross was burned in that movie in D.W. Griffith's uh Ber- Birth of a Nation. So I think there's some really great. uh That's a really great point, and I'm glad that you're bringing this to the show. And I look forward to us talking about it some more. And we're gonna do a little check-in after the break. Welcome back. We've got a new segment for the show where we just check in with each other. So how you been doing, Trish? What's going on with you?
2: I've been doing pretty well. I would really like the sunshine to just return to Southern California. I know, right? Because I'm I am just used to the sun. My brain needs it. It mm-hmm. needs the it needs the sun chemicals in it. Um I've been reading a book by Ruby Hamad called White Tears, Brown Scars. Mm-hmm. And it's be- it's quickly becoming a favorite of mine, both because it's like very entertaining and digestible, but really like revelatory yeah. for me. Um, even though I think about the relationship between white women and women of color really mm-hmm. often. Mm-hmm. I haven't read anything that articulates the relationship as well as she has
0: if you were like getting on an elevator and you needed to like summarize what that relationship is like before the person you're talking to gets off on on the on their floor what would you say that is well 30 seconds on the clock
2: (laughs) (laughs) first of all I want us to have um I want us to have like a little sound thing that goes like not all white people (laughs) not all white women so i'm prefacing this one not all white women there are Um,
0: sounds in here but i don't know you don't hear them we need to make one
2: we need to make one that's like not all white women but it sounds like a a car dealership is like
0: like (laughs) Like sunday 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 (laughs) yeah that one (laughs) not all white women
2: yeah. So um, the dynamic is the use of white women, white women tears is mm-hmm. basically just a euphemism for white women playing into their victimhood in order to um, bypass taking accountability to women of color. So
0: uh, specifically to women of color, got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So the dynamic looks like a woman of color being hurt or bringing up a uh, a problem, and instead of that problem being addressed, the white woman will just act hurt, mm-hmm. and so instead of addressing the original topic, you're then addressing the emotions
0: right
2: that woman Mm -mm -mm. and so this white damsel character is created in direct opposition to the angry black woman or the angry brown woman
0: wow that sounds really interesting and i think i'm gonna have to put that on my reading list
2: it's really good but that's that's what i've been up to how are you what have you been doing
0: I'm doing okay promoting my new song, my new single, Soft. Um, It is about emotional invalidation. Like, this is, like, a common experience for me in relationships. And I had been reading Bell Hook's The Will to Change while I was, uh when I wrote this song. And I really felt like her book, imp- like, m- made me feel more comfortable, like, actually writing about this because usually I'm just like, women have so much that y'all are going through, like, we don't need to hear about a man's feelings. And then Bill Hooks was like, you know, part of the problem with the patriarchy is that we don't want to hear how men feel. So I was like, I'll tell you how I feel. This is how I feel. And I actually upset a woman, at least one woman. Well... Recently? This right, week? Well, yes. <laughs> oh my um, god. I mean, I shouldn't... Now, now they are using exclusively they pronouns, so... Um, when I met them, they were not. So i upset a person you know uh about this i guess because they were going back and forth with another woman about how quote-unquote soft boys have harmful feelings um and whatnot which as an artist i'm actually kind of cool with like if if people want to fight over a song that i wrote like that's actually great because i I mean people are thinking yeah, exactly. I, w- I want people who have read a black feminist perspective like Bell Hooks to be able to enter the conversation and say, well, a part of a part of patriarchy, patriarchal power, male violence and all the kind of stuff, male supremacy, all of that has to do with men being dehumanized themselves by patriarchal indoctrination that says you are not supposed to feel You're not supposed to be in touch with your feelings, much, much less anyone else's, you know. And in order to do that, like that empower, that not empowers, but enables you to, you know, do the worst that patriarchy can do, right, to others. Um, and to have that perspective and, you know, for them to clash with others who have not thought about that, you know. And then me as an artist, just be like, okay, next song.
2: Yeah,
0: You know, this was just a little weird because I kind of had a relationship with the person before, so it it got kind of personal.
2: So they got upset because of the song.
0: It seemed like they got upset because a woman was reposting the song and saying that advocating for men to be emotionally intelligent and to be able to feel is also feminism. So that's what the argument was about because you had this kind of, you have these two traditions of feminism, honestly, that are battling it out in that moment because there is the type of feminism that says uh, men do not have the capacity or will to change. And therefore, you know, we have given up on, given up hope for that and we hate them, you know, which I think is legitimate for oppressed people to hate their oppressors, you know, so I, I'm not going to argue with a woman who says that they hate men. Um, but then you have another tradition of feminism uh, along the lines of what Bill Hooks is writing about in her books that's saying, you know, the way that we end patriarchy is by men healing, right? 100%. You know? Yeah.
2: We talked about it a little before, um, but women can absolutely be perpetuating the patriarchy by not being able to accept when a man is open about mm-hmm. his emotions and we're just we're all we're all conditioned under the same system so it makes sense that we would have a, that that we've all absorbed ideas about what manliness
0: manliness like. <laughs> yeah you know it's it's interesting because I understand how someone would feel weird about it because it's a I'm a man like showing this story that that brings that that truth to the fore, right? Yeah. But I think you know as an as artist it's 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 interesting because like I'm not I'm not standing here as a professor, you know. I'm not standing here as a politician. Right. I'm not standing here as a political pun- pundit or political commentator. The song is just saying this is my experience. Right. right. So all of the other assumptions and things that are being tacked onto it are not things that I said in the song. It's not like I'm in the song going women are the problem too. <laughs> Look at you to do You guys need to get it together. You know, like <laughs> I just have a song about yeah. a true experience of mine. Where it has been hard to feel emotionally safe in relationships, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It just so happens that I'm not the only man who has that experience. I'm also not singing, this is the crux of the problem. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst part of the patriarchy, right? Like I'm not doing that either. I didn't sing any of that stuff.
2: <laughs> well, I think too, um, there's a difference between expressing your emotions and weaponizing your emotions.
1: Yes. And absolutely. I think
2: because so many women have, a, have experienced the weaponizing of mm-hmm. male emotions. Yeah. It's, it, it it can put a wall up. And I think, you know, it, it's also what I've been reading about in, in the, uh, in white tears, brown scars
1: yes. um, about the
2: weaponizing of, of um white female vulnerability yeah um because it's obviously like white women can be sad and scared and cry, and (laughs) those things don't happen but and it's not saying that it's saying when that is weaponized against another person so i think it's just because people people do have a difficult uh, a difficult time with with nuance sometimes and i think part of that is just like the culture of social media and stuff. But I think drawing the distinction between men expressing their emotions and weaponizing their emotions will be an important um, part of that journey. But yeah, will be an important part in us as a society um, unpacking.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think one thing that I, it makes me think about with this honestly, not really a controversy because it's just one person and their boyfriend, but, (laughs) you know, (laughs) is that I do think that while I understand and I empathize with people who feel like the people who are representative of their oppressive group, you know, um, are just, you know, have lost their humanity, that, um, I do think that there is something to be said about assuming that just because someone shares that identity means it is impossible for them to have sincere emotion, right? Yeah. And legitimate emotion, especially when we're talking about across the color line, right? Like I hate the oppression Olympics, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't think that brown women have to worry about the same things that black people as a community have to worry about at, you know, at when we're talking about proportions of harm from this system, right? Yeah. You know, there is a, there is an access to whiteness, a proximity to whiteness that brown people can access that black people just typically generally don't really have, you know? And so, you know, if you get pulled over by the police at night, you know, and I get pulled over by the police at night, like one of us has a better chance of surviving that encounter, right? Yeah. And so like there, there's there's also that part where it's like, if I'm holding space, okay, I can draw the binary between Black and non-Black and say, I don't trust anybody non-Black. I hate everyone that's not Black. I could do that, you mm-hmm. know? And I could I could try to justify it and I could probably build a cogent argument for why that would be, You know, legitimate, based on the fact that all communities um, express and participate in some level of anti-blackness, right? I could, (laughs) but I don't. You know, I don't want to, and I don't think that it's useful because look at us. You know, I'm black. We're
2: best friends.
0: (laughs) We don't have we don't have any problems. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, I think the other thing is like. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with general awareness. Mm-hmm. I think, and I, I would hope that you would feel comfortable and like not stressed to call me out if I were to be unaware, um, or like ignorant and, or do something ignorant. But, um, I feel like I, Clearly understand that my privilege comes from um, the fact that I'm able to separate my identity from blackness.
0: Right. Exactly.
2: But when, and I think that's correct. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but I think that is another one of the issues that I feel between white women and women of color right? there the uh, there to have the ability to know that you are oppressed and can also be oppressing others that is is really important
0: that is exactly the thing we're talking about yeah that's exactly the thing we're talking about. and as a black man i have to be aware of that as well right like yeah yes the system of white supremacy is against me right dehumanizes me all that kind of stuff that includes white women in my oppressor group, right? But also, like, there are... That doesn't mean that I can't be a toxic man with you on, in right. a, on a relational level, yeah. right? It doesn't mean that I can't, you know, participate in misogynoir with the black yeah. women in my life, yeah. right? And I think that is some of the problem, you know, in this conversation that we're having, where it's just like people have this very binary view where... You are either, (laughs) you're either a victim or a victimizer. Yeah. You know, you're either a bully or being bullied. You're either an oppressor or oppressed person. Mm -hmm. But this is the the point of, I think this is a part of intersections, right? Is understanding that like your position might be in, might be uh, that of an oppressed person in relation to white men, Mm -hmm. but it may not be a structural position of oppression in regard to black men, you know? And at the same yeah. time, that doesn't mean that a black man can't cause you harm, you know, all yeah.
2: that. Yeah, I I think one of the biggest things I got out of um the white supremacy culture um website. Mm-hmm. The tame of Kenneth Jones um website is the either or thinking. Mm-hmm. Because that like that binary does us such a disservice in understanding our own implicit biases. Yes. Because people want to be like, I'm bad or I'm good. I'm racist yes. or I'm not racist. Mm-hmm. And that's just mm-hmm. simply like not the reality of A, the complexity of a human being and B, the complexity of human society. Yeah. And when we try to boil it down to something like that, it's harmful because it just misses so much of what's actually going on.
0: Yeah. It it misses the fact that like, wow, gosh, Dr. Beverly Tatum, right, talks about how anti-blackness is like a smog. Right. It's Mm. like it has it has it has harmed the air quality, which means we have all breathed it in. Yeah. We have all been affected by it. So some of us have, some of us have understood that what it's done to our lungs and we've gone to the doctor and because we're in recovery, we're looking at other people and judging, you know, and saying like, huh, you're sick. (laughs) Get out of here, you sick person. you. (laughs) You know, like, Get away. I'm, I'm healing, you know, <laughs> or, or I'm healed while we're in recovery. And I think that an attitude that understands that we are all, right? We're all, it's not whether, it's not that some of us are healed and some of us are sick is that some of us are healing, right? While a bunch of us don't even, a bunch of us don't even know that we need to be healed and a bunch of yeah. others don't care to be, right? Yeah. So. If we understand that, then I don't judge you when you start coughing and you don't judge me when I start coughing, you yeah. know, like we, we understand that. I don't think that means that we give each other a pass to be, you know, to be oppressive or to be, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever. But it does mean that we have a level of uh, grace. Yeah. Right? And I understand the trauma of experiencing this domination society can make our window of tolerance very small. Yeah. But I think for me, that has been a part of my healing is to understand that, you know, I don't want to live my life in an active trauma response. Yeah. Seems like you don't want to know what I'm feeling. So I guess I'll just keep it to myself. I guess I'll keep it to myself. Hey, you say Oh your way too soft and it really turns you off, so I'll keep it to myself. I guess I'll keep it to myself then.
2: So you texted me the other day. you said, Are you watching you? And I said <laughs> I am. Andre and I um we we watch a lot of the same shows. So apparently. Yeah.
0: The best
2: ones. <laughs> the best ones. So he texted me, are you watching you? And I knew when he texted me that, why he was asking me about it.
0: Oh, you knew that I was going to want to talk about it?
2: Yeah, because I had the distinct thoughts about it that we're going to discuss. I don't know why I didn't text you about it. I think I maybe didn't think you watched it.
0: Oh, uh, yeah.
2: Um, But I had... After I watched the, the full season, I had a lot of thoughts about how the treat, how the show treats women of color.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
2: when you texted me that, I was like,
0: we am
2: ready to talk about this with Andre.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, so what are your thoughts about that? About how the show treats women of color?
2: So I think it's interesting because okay, so to my knowledge, there are Five women of color. Is Karen? Yeah, there are five women of color that have been integral characters in you. Mm-hmm. And Joe has killed none of them.
0: Wait, 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 wait! He hasn't killed any of the women of color.
2: Joe has not killed. Any of the women of color,
0: but he's killed the white women.
2: He has only killed the white women.
0: I never, I didn't notice that until this very moment. I was today years old. Yeah, I was three fifty-four years <laughs> old.
2: <laughs> so on one side, on one side, I'm just I feel a sense of relief. I'm like I'm glad for them to be living. Yeah. On the other side, it reminds me of a chapter in White Tears, Brown Scars uh-huh. called white damsels can only be in distress. Oh. So, I think, I do not think this is the intention of mm-hmm. the showrunners, but mm-hmm. there, is, there is something there that plays mm-hmm. into the strong black woman.
1: Uh, and huh.
2: there is, okay, so I'm read some quotes This is me on TikTok every day. Let me read you a quote from my book. <laughs>
1: um, doo, 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 doo.
2: Being victimized when you're seen as strong is really difficult because no one believes you. No
1: one believes you.
2: Mm-hmm. So. It's like these women were too strong and smart to be able to to be the true damsel. The only true damsel in you is are the white women.
0: Okay, I see what you're saying. Is do you think that I mean I know you said you think it's not intentional, but do you think that that's part of why instinctively they think, didn't cast most of these women of color? as you know true victims of joe's i think like you mentioned the first black woman that he dates like is his girlfriend like they just mm-hmm. break up
2: yes so the there's the first of these women of color is karen she's in season one
0: mm-hmm. and it's
2: when joe and beck break up he dates karen they have a perfectly normal relationship i think he runs into beck cheats on karen and then breaks up with her. And Runs then she into very Beck,
0: cheats on Karen and then breaks up with Karen and obsesses about Beck.
2: And then goes back to Beck and ends up killing Beck. And right Karen... For those who've
0: never watched the show, by the way, the premise of the show is this guy who thinks that he's a hopeless romantic, but actually he's a creeper, stalker, serial killer. And yes. every time he has a love interest, well, apparently not every time, but when he has a white love interest, he yes. obsesses over her. And convinces himself that his controlling behavior, because he literally tries to control their life, is actually a form of love, and he ends up killing them.
2: Yeah. So I guess his his levels of obsession did not did not peak with Karen. Anyways. And yeah. he breaks up with her, and it is And that's that. She is just a mature woman about it. And is like, mm-hmm. okay. And so, yeah, so interesting. She is unharmed. She goes on, lives her life.
1: Mm-hmm. The
2: next woman of the next women of color we see are in season two. Mm-hmm. There's Delilah and Ellie.
0: Okay, Delilah is the friend of, or his his neighbor. No, the landlord. Delilah
2: is the, land the property landlord, property manager. Yes. Right, and Ellie is her little sister. So Joe also Ellie is had, played
0: by Jenna Ortega. Yeah. Oh, that's gross. I'm sorry. <sighs> like she's 20. Like she just turned 20.
2: So Je- and Jenna, she was she's, a love she's a kid. Of his? No, 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 no. She's not. A, she's not a love interest. She's okay. a kid. All right. Okay, so right. Joe I, now Joe she is similar, and in, in season two, she is basically the Nadia character of season
0: four. Nadia is the student.
2: Yeah. Okay. So that like intellectual mm-hmm. young brown woman. Um she is she's just a she's a cool teenage girl. And mm-hmm. he's not inappropriate with her in any way. Right. But it's interesting that he's now two times had this like younger mm-hmm. brown woman character, like yep. smart character anyways. So Delilah and Ellie. And Delilah does get murdered, but not by Joe. Delilah is not a love interest, I should say. He, they, well, he, she's sort of a love interest. But um, I think they like sleep together once.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Delilah is actually killed by Love Quinn. Love Quinn is a character. Um, so Delilah is killed by Love Quinn, not by Joe. So
0: I Don't remember that. Yeah, because love love ends up obsessing about Joe. Is that what that happened? Is that what happened there?
2: I think so. Joe puts Delilah in his cage, and Uh, he want he's going to release her, and he's trying to get his passport and papers in order to release her. Goes back to get her, and she's dead. Remind you of season four? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and she's dead and he thinks he killed her like while he was on like, he was like tripping with love Quinn's brother.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um but you find out towards the end of the season that love actually killed Delilah.
0: Ooh, okay, yeah.
2: So and then Joe decides to financially support Ellie until mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because Ellie's totally on her own now. Right. She's a kid. So um so those three color so far joe does not kill any one dies the white woman kills her um then in the next season is where we meet marianne so marianne is in season three oh, okay and yes, season yes yes four.
0: that's okay that's the that's the one that he falls in love with at the bookstore library at The bookstore
2: so that's marianne book oh library you're right
0: yes this is a black woman that he falls in love with at the bookstore behind yes. Love's back, yes, because he and Love are married in season three, yes, right, mm-hmm. and then and yeah,
2: Love, Love Quinn, his wife, warns Marianne. Marianne mm-hmm. escapes. Um, season four. Marianne, um, spoiler. I mean, y'all, this is full of spoilers. Season four. Joe, while he is dissociating, ends up uh, imprisoning Marianne, finding her and putting her in his cage. Mm-hmm. Um and but Marianne and Joe's new little brown sidekick, Nadia,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um they come up with a plan that actually gets Marianne out safe.
0: So it was Joe that planned that with Nadia to get her out?
2: No, no, no. Marianne, okay, and, Marianne Nadia and Nadia planned Nadia, that plan. together. Okay,
0: that's what I thought I thought too.
2: So Marianne and Nadia plan together away, and and, and Marianne gets out of the cage. Um, and Nadia does not get killed. Nadia gets framed by Joe. Right. So mm-hmm. all of these women. They have the same They're all They're all too smart for Joe They're all too strong
0: All the women of color? Yeah
2: they're
0: well, all don't, too You don't think that Marianne was kind of a damsel in distress? Do you think she's not a damsel because she she wasn't killed?
1: Well, okay
2: I I guess she could be viewed as a damsel mm-hmm. But I do think it is
0: but kind of late in the game, right? Like they <laughs> kind
2: they, of. He like really took two seasons for him, and he still did not kill her. <laughs> I don't know. And it's
0: like you don't want to sit here being like, "Why won't he just kill the black woman already?" You know, like you don't, know, <laughs> right? Like so I like feel like you waiting for him to do that, but but I, I was happy like,
2: that she got out, but I just think it's like it is this, it is an interesting version. Of the trope, because all of these women of color are able to outrun him,
0: outmanipulate uh, him. So, what do you what do you think it's saying? Like, what do you think that it is? What do you think is being represented from our culture in the fact that the white women die, but the Black women and women of color escape or get away.
2: I mean, only white damsels can be in distress. I think <laughs> that it puts it puts just like it's a lot of responsibility.
0: Oh wait a minute! You know what? It what just occurred to me is that for me, what it kind of reflects is like that the people who are really in danger are the white women.
2: They're. Right,
0: because, because Mary Marianne, first off, was like in the same type of danger as all the other white women before her. Mm-hmm. Right, she's locked in this glass case that Joe mysteriously is able to get no matter where he's in the world by the way just like because he's not in america anymore but he's got he's got a, he's got access to a one thing about joe he's gonna find <laughs> access to a glass case so he can lock a woman in there that's one thing about joe but so but somehow marianne is able to outsmart him Right. Which is what you're yeah. saying. You know, this is I mean, I'm, I'm not saying anything new. I'm processing what you're saying. I'm putting the pieces together yeah. because you're saying like this black woman is showing this type of self-sufficiency in a state that other white women have been shown in in this show. And they can't figure that out. Yeah. Right. Which this is bringing me all down like Ibram Kendi's stamp from the beginning, which is a little bit problematic, y'all, but still. You know, none of us are perfect. So, but where he talks about how, like, when Bartholomew Bartholomew de las Casas was uh, had his epiphany about Native people because he was a priest and he was like, "We shouldn't be treating people like this. They're made in the. We shouldn't be treating natives like this. They're made in the image of God, like everybody else. We should be treating black people like this because they're not human. You know, that's that's." That's where that epiphany led him, right? And the way that I paraphrase what Kendi writes in the book is like, it, according to the, according to Stamp from the beginning, seems like the indigenous people were like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds like a great idea. Cause you know, we can't even handle the sun like black people can either. And that's also what white indentured servants were saying when they brought them to the Caribbean as, as, mm. as servants were saying, oh, we can't, we can't survive in the sun, right? So there are all of these, um, messages about how black people, have a higher tolerance for pain you know it's almost like we can we can handle this stuff right yeah so for me what you have said about you know what you've brought up here makes me start to think along that line of like okay in some way it feels like what's being reflected back to us is like not that Marianne was never in danger she was clearly in danger she had been abducted by her ex boyfriend and locked in a glass case or whatever, but even so, she'll find a way to MacGyver her way out of it. Yeah, you know.
2: And I mean, that's that's the essence of the problem with the strong black woman trope mm-hmm. is that it it makes people assume this amount of un like it's it's superhuman strength, but. Yes which which is just like an, another way of dehumanizing someone
1: mhm mhm
2: so so Joe's two black love interests did not meet the same fate as his white love interests and then his the the relationship he has with brown women um mainly in the Nadia character and the Ellie character is almost combative Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the um, he ends up he ends up harming them too. He ends up harming all of these women in some way, right? But they are they are smart enough to maybe get to continue their lives. So it is like sort of this. It does kind of clearly show this hierarchy. You have like Marianne and Karen. They were able to continue with their lives, unscathed by Joe. Nadia and Ellie. Ellie Ellie's sister has been killed and she's now, you know, on the run as a teenager. And Nadia is in jail forever. Um well, we don't know. Season next season. Uh, I hope Nadia gets out I, of oh jail. My
0: gosh, yeah. No, that's really interesting about like how it might be reflecting some of the some of the racial politics that actually exist in the world. I didn't. I didn't really catch that. You know, I definitely did not catch that all the white women that he dates die.
2: Yeah, I mean, to actually to be fair, the first woman who we don't actually hear about, but the woman that is pre Beck. So the uh-huh. woman that is pre the show, uh-huh. she does escape. He buries her alive and she escapes. However, she does end up dying.
0: I don't remember this at all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> There's like a redhead. So so yes, there is one woman that okay. he and en- the the very first woman that he tried to kill, she ends up getting away. Um, and she actually ends up being killed, I think, by Love Wow. So I'd love to hear anyone's opinion on how I think these social dynamics were handled.
0: Okay. Okay. well, I mean, I'm curious to know what our listeners think. So if you have an opinion, you know, oh, God, I don't even know where you can leave us a comment right now. I think wherever you're listening to this, you probably can leave a comment if it's like on Simplecast or something like that. Or you can just hit us up on Instagram, either one of us. You know, we'll talk about it there. We're gonna set up social media for the podcast soon and that'll be a good place. But just tell us what you think. You know, if you haven't watched it, watch us and watch it and tell us tell us what you think as well. Good. All right, y'all. So we're, we're closing out the show with a new segment where we just play a bit of a game. So um, we are deciding to play We're Not Really Strangers. It'll help us get to know each other better, even though Trish and I are pretty good friends. Uh, help us get to, know each, get to know each other better and also help you get to know us better. So uh, Trish is going to pull a question and we're each going to answer it and then we're going to sign off.
2: Okay. Do I seem like someone who would get a name tattooed on myself? Why a or name? why not? Yeah. A name. A name.
0: Mm, no, you do not seem to me like the kind of person. Watch, you're gonna like have a full back tattoo. Of <laughs> name. But I, I would—that would surprise me though. Um, if you had someone's name tattooed on you, the reason why is because I don't. I. Okay, usually it's like when people have someone's name tattooed on them, it's like a, a a family member who's died or like the love of their life. Yeah. Right. So I don't know if I could, because, you're, because your folks are alive, that's just hard for me to imagine you getting their names tattooed on you. I don't know, maybe you would when one of your parents passes. But I don't know you to be so madly in love with someone for that long to where it's like (laughs) you think this is going to be a relationship that's like worth tattooing this person's name on your body. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's very accurate. I would. (laughs) I could like I could see myself getting a tattoo that like represented um, someone that passed. Mm hmm. But I don't even think in that instant I would get a name.
0: Yeah, no, I don't. I don't so.
2: know. It's just like not my style.
0: Yeah. Okay, do me.
2: Another question?
0: No, no, you, same question. Do I sound oh. like
2: something? Mm, I could see it.
0: Yeah, really? Why?
2: I could see it in the same instance. And I'm I'm not sure why I think you would get a name and I would get a symbol. I don't know. I guess I don't I don't really know your visual um your like artistic visual aesthetic.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I I don't I yeah, I'm not sure how you like to represent things visually in like yeah. illustration. Um mm-hmm so i i'm open to the
0: possibility that you (laughs) open to the possibility okay not entirely sure but
2: it's more that yeah i don't know
0: yes leans yes
2: well because i feel like you like i love symbols but i feel like i have like symbols everywhere like i Mm -hmm. think i do a lot of that Mm -hmm. um and i'm not yeah i'm
0: not sure okay there you have it
2: are you are you no
0: I don't see myself doing that yeah I don't have any tattoos sometimes I think about getting tattoos and then I'm like I heard that it's painful and I'm not entirely sure you know yeah my
2: first thought was I don't think he has tattoos in general (laughs) but if you were to get a tattoo it
0: probably wouldn't be someone's name it would probably be symbols as well yeah. When I think about getting tattoos, it's all symbolic. It's never like something that straightforward. It would always be something where it's like I have a full sleeve of just things that no one would understand if they looked at it, and I would like tell a whole story all the way up my arm.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. If I if I could endure that much, you know, pain. Um,
2: I think it really because I have two tattoos. Yeah. And I did not. They know weren't. That. They weren't that painful.
0: Yeah, but where are they?
2: They're on my ankles.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah, because I know it depends on where it is. Like I know some places hurt more than others.
2: Yeah. I well I think the other thing my other thought with you was that like I feel like um your like your mom passed when uh-huh. at a relatively young age.
0: No, she passed in twenty seventeen.
2: Yeah, I think that I feel like we're young, like <laughs> <laughs> when I say a relatively young age, I mean like not as
0: oh, not as in, not at the age not when I was you're supposed
2: to be, yeah. Okay. yeah. And so, like, I could see myself going through a traumatic experience and like just wanting to have like do something.
0: Yeah, the way I try to keep my mom close is by talking with a Jamaican accent. I like that instead of getting her name tattooed on me. Yeah. So I get nervous or I just code switch automatically. But when I'm alone, I I talk in my Jamaican accent. And when, you know, You
2: can do mom, it on your TikToks?
0: Yeah, a bit. But that that is me. That is my version of getting a tattoo to keep my mom close. I like one day I'm just going to talk like I'm just Jamaican all the time, you know. But for some yeah. reason it just it's so easy to switch out of it, you know.
2: <laughs> Not today. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want? Can I close with reading this this quote? Yeah, for sure. This is a quote from "White Tears, Brown Scars," um, but it has to do with pop culture. And since we're since we're going to be doing a lot of pop culture takes this season, mm-hmm. I wanted to sort of summarize why we're doing it. Pop culture wrote the late great Jamaican-British cultural theorist, Stuart Hall, is one of the sites where this struggle for and against a culture of the powerful is engaged. It is the stake to be won or lost in that struggle. It is the arena of consent and resistance. It is partly where hegemony arises and where it is secured.
0: I really do love that quote. I need you to send it to me. Oh, wow! Um, because it does remind me of something that I've written about a lot that I've gotten from uh, from studying nonviolent struggle, which is that half the battle in trying to change the world is our common sense, and our common sense is built and maintained in the stories that we tell, right? Um, and so there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of good work that can be done here. Okay, well, that's all for our episode today. Thank, every, thanks everyone for listening. Trish, thanks for joining. I look forward to all the conversations we're going to have, um, and y'all are about to hear from Ross, our show producer, about all the things. Uh, thanks to all of the generous patrons at Patreon who help to pay for, you know, hosting this show and all of that kind of stuff. And we will, you will hear from us next time. I always say see us, but you're never going to... I mean, some of us, you will. If you're a patron, you'll see us. There you go. You might
2: be seeing us right now.
0: Yeah, you might be seeing us right now. All right, y'all. See you. I'm late for therapy. Bye. bye. Thanks for choosing to listen today. You can catch up with our hosts online. Trish's is at Trish's Music. That's spelled T-R-I-S-H-E-S. Music on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Andre is at the Andre Henry on Instagram and TikTok
1: and at Andre Henry on Twitter. Catch the songs you heard today and more of their
0: music on Spotify. If you'd like to support what we're doing here and see the video of Andre and Trisha's conversation, you can join the Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Andre Henry. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. It doesn't have to be oh, doesn't have to be This way it doesn't have to be No, it doesn't